0: we spoke about the inward shift, which is one of the crucial movements of uh, yoga, any yoga. One cannot uh, realize the divine, let alone talk about transforming the life as long as we are tied to the surfaces of life. So one would wonder why not simply take up a simple process of concentration, which is so fashionable these days, there are so many types of concentration and meditation and breath control and why talk about such a complex process of working upon the mind, working upon the heart working upon the will etc etc there are two reasons one as we were sharing last time that our being is tied the surfaces by the ropes of desire and by the knot of the ego and so long as this is not loosened any amount of forced entry gate crashing is not allowed and if one does that supposing there are people who try to do that, there are always gate crashers everywhere who don't want to pay for the ticket and just somehow want an entry, one doesn't go very far, and there's every likelihood that one will be lost in one of those alleys or by alleys or the mazes of inner life. Even to. even this outer world is so fascinatingly complex. Even in a place like Auroville, one can easily get lost while moving from one point to another the inner life is far 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 more complex and especially when one has no idea and no clue to it there are no roadmaps no road maps and there are so many deceptive angels doubt depression denial stand as sentinels on the way You ask them, is this the way? They tell you, no, that is the way. (laughs) One trusts them. It's so strange that human beings trust their skepticism more than their faith. Well, there are many such things one has to encounter in the inner life. So it's very important to work on a preliminary purification of nature. And the triple way is one of the very beautiful ways to facilitate this entry. When this is said, very often people immediately launch themselves into a kind of violent inner conflict with desire and ego. That is not the way. One straight away begins to take the bull by the horns. Very few can do that. Sri cautions against this kind of approach that to try to take the kingdom of heaven by storm is not the way. Sometimes one ends up breaking down one's own nature. The right way that is suggested in the synthesis and every place is to observe few simple rules with regard to one's outer life. One is balance and moderation. It's a very simple golden rule. Not to do excess in any direction, not to lead a life which is purely like an animal, to bring a little bit of human touch a noble way in whatever we do. So this is a very good preliminary preparation. We read about it when mother speaks of the ethical life as a passage to the higher life. It's not the end but a passage. It's very good to remember that Shubindu also speaks about bringing a sattvic touch to all the other gunas, all the other modes of nature. Which means to let the enlightened parts of the mind do the leading these parts even when they are enlightened are still a very faint shadow yet they are helpful as aids on the way so these are very simple things of ordinary life which have their utility and one should not abandon them prematurely believing that one has gone above and beyond all uh, transcended all moral ethical notions one is likely to land up in a big ditch So this is one reason why balance and moderation. Second, the negative movement of sadhana should be occupying our minds less than the positive movement. The negative movement is struggling with one's desire and ego. This is to get rid of the baggage, the knots. If one tries it by one's own effort, one can succeed if one is a Hercules. But most of us to do a reality check are not that. We are simple people and it's good to remember that we are very simple people taking up an extraordinarily complex task. The danger is when people believe they are extraordinary, taking up an ordinary yoga. It's much safer to and saner to believe that we are very ordinary people who are taking up an extraordinary venture. And it's only by the divine grace that one can complete this venture that is why the mother speaks of or rather reiterates what has been always known what Ramakrishna expressed very forcefully the baby monkey and the baby cat attitude the path of austere tapasya which not only is not easy but the big problem of this path path, is that one relies so much on personal effort that one one is all the time tight and taut and one loses the delight of the way because it's me who is doing the sadhana I am a great sadhak, it can easily lead to another kind of excess, I am a great sadhak every little victory is my victory and then one begins to look down upon others who are the poor mortals struggling on the way these are small little things but it can be very dangerous, Sri speaks about the danger of believing even oneself to be the instrument of God it is not the instrument's greatness. It is the Divine's joy that he picks up something and uses it. And there is an equal joy when the Divine sets it aside. There is a very little beautiful prayer of the Mother. And Sri Aurobindo speaks about it. That one has to be free even from the need to be an instrument of God. Divine may set aside. What is there? Mother speaks of it very beautifully in one of her prayers. She says should I complain something to this effect when the instrument is set aside for a while or should I enjoy rest and repose after a period of activity and struggle it is up to him he may pick up anything and make it an instrument he may leave it aside the same expression Sri gives it in a slightly different way the same idea is expressed in one of his shorter essays the delight of works and he says there is a joy of the sword in the struggle and the battle there is a joy when it is put aside there is a joy when it is broken and cast away that equal joy discover so all restlessness to action and enthusiasm to action is not karma yoga there is no it's only karma sometimes it's restless karma sometimes it's vitally impelled karma It's not that somebody who is working from morning till night is doing big karma yoga and somebody who is coming for two hours quietly working is not doing karma yoga. Karma yoga is karma plus yoga. So the important part is the yoga part of the karma which is facilitated by remembrance and offering. Which is facilitated by not doing the karma with any motive such as reward and return. Now in places like our, you know, like in Auroville and Ashram. Obviously, there is no outer reward. These we are not doing it for money. It's understood. But one may get into the other trap because there are subtle rewards: reward of being approved, reward of being accepted, reward sometimes of becoming the head of a particular, uh, you know, department; reward of being appreciated. All these are rewards, and these are they pass unnoticed because they're very subtle reward of being acknowledged as being someone who has done so much there are people who even after years remember, remember you know this part of uh, Auroville or this department in Ashram I was the one who established it and built it so <laughs> I mean it's strange after decades, it's, it's human nature it's not a particular person, it can happen to any of us uh, these are reminders that we should be very vigilant that it's not we who are the doers but the divine who is the doer and it's not we who are the workers but nature who is the executive worker in every activity from the smallest to the biggest if one really looks at it, who is the worker nature is the worker and it doesn't require deep philosophy or reading many books to understand it A student in 10th standard can understand it if he looks at life very simply when he gets through brilliantly passes brilliantly in one of those competitive exams so you know one can always look at it in two ways I did it another person may say look you had some intelligence more than other person it's a inheritance who gave you this well nature gave you this nature gave you this and combined with a set of fortuitous circumstances well you did what other person could not do so nature worked through your mind gave you a brilliance or an intelligence which is obviously nobody possesses this intelligence it was there as a boon, ok, one at the most strove and made it little more sharper even there if one looks, who put the effort, will, everything we are born with it, nature works through us, it doesn't require any deep philosophy, just a hard look at ourselves and we will see nature is the worker and who is the master behind the works? we can very easily see that whatever works we do, it goes into a pool of forces and what comes back is not always 2 plus 2 equals to 4 in real life and one can clearly see that there is a greater law a law which we don't understand which gives back what we should get in the great wisdom of things and this great wisdom is fortunately though we curse it to our heart's core not a wisdom that is there to satisfy our desires this is the great paradox of life and the, way, the day we understand that this universe was not built keeping x or y or z of course me at the center much of our problems of life are solved this simple truth which takes so much time to understand that this world was not built keeping me at the center this has a center and we are all eccentrics so let's get back to the center then we can talk about things so this whole effort to go to the center is to uh, this these first steps to work upon the desire and the ego. this is a negative side of the work and as we read, the way is not to launch oneself in a bitter struggle by one part of the mind quarrelling with another and then being caught into the movement, then going into guilt and depression. this is the most dangerous way. is the typical way of the adverse forces. They first push it into the movement, then after you know the movement is over, then what they do they bring guilt and we think it's something very divine that we are feeling guilty about something it's not divine at all it fills our being with remorse and depression and then they put another suggestion you are not fit for yoga there are people who don't go to samadhi or you know they don't go to pray because they feel they are unfit unclean and impure to pray well one prays to become clean and pure if one has to be clean and pure to pray then prayer is no more needed If one has to use the word purity in the deepest sense, it's to be exclusively under the influence of the divine. So many letters are there to Sri where the disciple is asking, I don't feel like writing to you. I don't feel like going to the mother for her pranam. And Sri is repeatedly reminding, no, you must go. If you are in this state, you must write every day. There were people whom they asked to write every day precisely because their mind was caught up in a wrong movement because their vital was struggling with itself so this is the strategy of the adverse forces where they use even things which can be called as seemingly divine to cause our downfall and one of them is to launch oneself into violent struggle with oneself, that is not the way so what is the way? Shrabindo speaks of standing back learning to detach oneself from the surface movement so what will happen when one does that initially the movement will continue inwardly one is in two pieces one part which is observing and knows the foolishness and the stupidity of surface life but is not fully consenting to it and it's observing and the other part which is going on going on as a mechanical habit because it's not just a habit of one day or two days it's not my personal habit as the mother describes it so many places not my desire or your desire it's a universal desire it's gone to the very root of things it's become unfortunately well it was needed at one point of time as the very sap of life matter feeds on desire to wake up otherwise it becomes asleep into tamas so desire has ploughed it and it will not let it go so it's not just my desire or somebody else's desire it's a universal movement of desire and wants to stand back and learn to watch it the more one watches it and what is the way he gives a very beautiful simple way tell yourself I am not this struggling creature I am not this creature that loves and hates and revolts and is angry and full of jealousy and frustrated and depressed and now happy and now sad tell yourself I am not this creature this creature is the animal in us which revolves only this animal has got a voice and a brilliance this makes it worse as long as it is simple animal wants it's fine now it has got a mind that can justify it so not to justify the movement not to say well it's natural or to say it's not me it's because of you that's not what he's saying but to stand back and say well this is not what I want to be to refuse the inner sanction now when we refuse the inner sanction for a long time or a short time depending on the past preparation this movement will continue with habit and that is why many people who observe these surfaces cannot understand what is going on in the inner life sometimes people say look 10 years you are doing this yoga you have not changed sometimes we may ourselves observe our outer nature but it is not true something is changing inside a little compass needle is shifting very slowly, very imperceptibly and over years when one looks back and says, my god I was that stupid fellow then one observes and even then it's very hard to find it on the surface because outer nature is the last to change, it is the most mechanical automatic parts even when from inside one is expelled, anger revolt, depression still they rise mechanically there is something which happens and one says something very mechanically then one looks back and sees look again one catches oneself and says with the corner of the eye as Shurabindo puts it so beautifully in thoughts and aphorism one looks at oneself with the corner of the eye and says look old fellow you are at it again and that's the way that slowly slowly it becomes diminished and diminished one has to do it not only with desire one has to do it Also with the nervous activities, with the physical, to learn to detach oneself from the physical comforts and discomforts, from its petty pleasures and small pains and its illnesses and health, its need of this and need of that and learn to observe at the physical. Provide it what it needs, but don't be attached to it. If sometimes we are in a position of discomfort, then one looks at it and says, oh, fine, I see that you are again wanting the air conditioner on I can see how you are troubled because the lights have gone off no problem, you can go through it one day no heavens are going to fall so many ways, one can even have a little humorous dialogue with oneself Sri speaks of projecting these different parts like a drama and mother speaks of it in the same way projecting them on the screen and having them meet and have a little dialogue and it's very interesting to see which part is occupying how much important place if I am really here for yoga then these small discomforts these small comforts it is time to have a sincerity check on oneself so this is one of the ways from the physical bodily comfort and discomfort when one is ill it is an excellent opportunity to look at oneself not to be troubled if necessary go to the doctor take the medicine but not to let the illness run in the mind and even at the level of the mind not to be attached to this or that idea or opinion that this is the only thing this is the only truth, this is the only way to learn to detach so that light of a greater consciousness can dawn upon us so this learning to stand back from the movement of nature is a great aid in purification rather than struggling with it struggling with it is the wrong way it is a dangerous way it can lead to very violent inner Shocks and counter shocks. Similarly, the inward passage has to be a very smooth and beautiful and delightful passage. Just as one should not struggle violently with one's nature, one should not violently try to storm oneself into the kingdoms, kingdom of God. Because if one is thrown away, if one is not ready, it can be as precipitous a fall. So the path of tapasya tries to do it all in three days it's not like that, it takes long one has to be very patient, very persevering the highest gates don't open to the earthly cry from the mortal sphere we don't even know where we are and what we are, and we straight away want to get the divine in seven days, even seven lives, some people will say is not enough, when people complain to Sri someone after 3 years of stay in the ashram oh I came here and this is not happening that is happening all kinds of things they is saying you are crying very prematurely ask of the yogins they will tell you at least 12 years of sustained effort are required before one can claim to the first fruits of sadhana and then he remind the person you had much more in a shorter time so you have no business to crib and complain Now every time we complain, grumble and are impatient, violently forcing our way inside, it again comes in the way. In fact, the more violent we are, the more strong the gates close. So one has to be, or sometimes worse dangers. If the gates are closed, it's a grace. The worst dangers are that one enters into an intermediate zone where all kinds of deceptive forces masquerade. And there is a play of all kinds of visions and voices and experiences of all kinds, of a supernormal kind. And one can believe that one has found the soul, one has been led into the great chambers of secrecy, but one is all the time being fooled. That is why the first movement is to find the psychic, the secret soul, and let the nature be irradiated by this light. There are people, it's a very strange thing which uh, I have heard and I find it very very strange and dangerous that there is a movement to believe that one can get the supramental without going through the psychic change there are people who talk about it there are books which are being written on it that now that the super mind is there one doesn't need to go through all this psychic change this purification this all this is no more necessary super mind is there take a plug put it in and you will have the supramental force directly working on your body which will hammer it into the supramental shape this is the most nonsensically absurd thing A nature not prepared by the psychic and spiritual change will completely completely be crushed and break down if at all the super mind touches if at all fortunately it doesn't usually it is the vital forces will which begin to play and give us all kinds of fascinating and fanciful experiences, including the illusion of power and knowledge, and one believes that one is having the supermind. One has to go through the process. Even if the process is shortened, the divine grace can shorten the process. It can make it safer, smoother, but the way is there, and it is the psychic which opens the door to the spiritual and the supramental. It is not the mind vital and the physical which by their effort that can open the doors to the supramental. It is the psychic which opens the door and here is a very interesting letter of Sharbindo which cautions us about this process and it's that's why it's always so important to really read them directly. The soul, the psychic being is in direct touch with the divine truth. But it is hidden in man by the mind, the vital being, and the physical nature. One may practice yoga and get illuminations in the mind and the reason. One may conquer power and luxuriate in all kinds of experiences in the vital one may establish even surprising physical siddhis physical siddhis are various capacities in the body to do things, to go without food for days, to do away with sleep to stay in one posture for hours, even to have certain abnormal capacities and powers in the body now comes the great semicolon shobhana puts a semicolon and says but if the true soul power behind does not manifest if the psychic nature does not come into the front nothing genuine has been done so all these talk about vital powers and physical siddhis and uh, mental illuminations count for nothing in the end if the true soul power and the psychic have not stepped in the front in this yoga the psychic being is that which opens the rest of the nature to the true supramental light look at Shubinder's words have a beauty of expression every adjective is rightly placed true supramental light knowing fully well that human beings are capable of mistaking every kind of light for the supramental light Otherwise there is no need to qualify something like the supramental light. He uses the word true supramental light. And finally to the supreme ananda. Mind can open by itself to its own higher reaches. It is possible to do a yoga only by the mind. And it can open to its own higher reaches. Sublimating itself by insistence on a single idea. It can arrive at the impersonal. So he is saying it is possible it can still itself and widen into the impersonal it's possible purely by mental effort to still the mind by insistence on a single idea the way of jnana become wide and wide detached from all things else except the one impersonal infinite so it's possible there is the old way it may too spiritualize itself in some kind of static liberation or nirvana Following this process, the mind can let that impersonality impress upon the rest of the nature some kind of a spiritualization, and one can dwell in that impersonality and act. If at all one can use the word action, rather the better would be let action shape itself while dwelling there. It's possible. It may too spiritualize itself in some kind of static liberation or nirvana. But the supramental cannot find a sufficient base in a spiritualized mind alone. So it is not enough. If the inmost soul is awakened, if there is a new birth out of the mere mental, vital and physical into the psychic consciousness, if the inmost soul is awakened if there is a new birth out of the mere mental vital and physical into the psychic consciousness then this yoga can be done otherwise brackets by the soul power of the mind or any other part it is impossible <laughs> this is very simple direct it is not something which has changed it is impossible Further, if there is a refusal of the psychic new birth, a refusal to become the child newborn from the mother, owing to attachment to intellectual knowledge or mental ideas or to some vital desire, then there will be a failure in the sadhana. It's one of the real hard-hitting direct letters. Really, as mother said, Shurabindha is a gentleman. <laughs> really, Shurabindha has used such hard-eating letters. But directly, even this is very modest. He is being very, very gentlemanly, decently telling us: look, it is dangerous. If you just don't go do sadhana by your intellectual idea, no, no, I don't need to surrender and all, I can directly pull. Shurabindha must have said that, but he didn't know because that time supermind was not there. Now supermind is there, we know the way it is nothing but an intellectual idea one cannot see it because one is insincere or another thing oh that is old yoga there is a new yoga which now i know simpler yoga it is another kind of vital desire this can give us quick results shudas yoga is a very long that time he did not know, you know about all this it is a very long path he has given all these are our intellectual ideas vital desires, preferences we cannot see it because insincerity puts a blinder on our eyes and this insincerity is supported by two great demons falsehood and unconsciousness and they put a blinder and we move so the first step in the yoga is to open to the psychic consciousness and this is by the inward turning, we spoke of the triple path, the mind should seek the eternal the heart should turn towards the divine the will should accept to be nothing else but a servant of the divine as this happens more and more there are several practical things which can aid us in the process and one simple practical aid that the mother has given is remember and offer I know of a person who who was deeply engaged in the world and remained in the world all his life, and came much later to, to it. One can use the word deeper in a life. And when one asked him what was the motto you followed, he said only one: remember and offer. One doesn't have to read much if one can just follow this: remember and offer. And the mother puts it so beautifully in the search for the soul, in in on education. She says that before you eat you must offer this food to the inner deity with a will or an aspiration that this food may go in to create in us the elements which are necessary for sadhana what else is this but physical yoga food is very physical it's going to the very physical and what is she saying may it create in us the elements which are necessary for yoga before you sleep for a few moments concentrate in the idea that may this sleep rejuvenate us and once again when we wake up, we are fresh and ready for the march for this great discovery. Before you speak, pause for a few moments and pray and aspire that may this speech does not hinder in any way the work of the divine. If anything, may it be a help in the process. Before you act, pray and aspire that this action helps us come closer to the divine and then she says in short never forget the goal it should be like a burning fire always inside what a wonderful practical way to never forget the goal and then mother says much later this is in 19 uh, well on education was in response to I think Pranabdas' queries so somewhere in the 1930s in 1960s she laments divine lament. We have our lament lament and we go to the divine, lamenting all our problems. This is the divine lament, if one may say so. She says, people sleep, they forget. And then she says, if only if only the earth consents to be spiritualized. So to remember and offer. To remember and offer. Another aid which very simple aid in this process is to constantly let the mind dwell on an idea. And that's what's on, on, of course, an idea means the idea of the divine, the highest idea. And Shobindo uses in that sense, there's this beautiful line in Savitri, a prayer, a master act, a king idea can link man's strength to the transcendence force. Then miracle is made the common role. Another simple aid that they have given is to quieten the mind and to quieten the vital and quieten the physical all restlessness of nature is an impurity it's very strange and that's why sometimes one of the simple antidote to restlessness is focused work see how simple practical ways they have given when we do a work with sustained concentration and we do it in the right way and we do it in with the right skill the right attitude, the right thought all our energies which are restless begin to get focused and work is a means to unite the inmost the mind, because the mind must concentrate we cannot do a work well if the mind is distracted, the vital because that is the basis of energy and the physical of course because the work is done by the body so a simple practical aid is to do a work do it well, do it with a constant remembrance and do it as a dedication to the divine it is a simple practical way to achieve union with the inmost and the highest and many people have this idea that it's only a preliminary preparation and Sri Aurobindo, someone asked him that can one realize the Sachidanandin in works that's the highest one is not talking of super mind but something still higher Sri Aurobindo says good lord what are we then doing here good lord what are we then doing here In through works one can realize the highest and through works one can, re, one can express the very highest of course the instrument has to be made ready so that is the second part of this yoga on one side and that makes this yoga a very difficult balance this triple path which is such a powerful way can sometimes lead one away from the yoga if one only takes up one of the aspects the mind dwelling on the idea one is likely to gradually withdraw from the world into an impersonality so this idea of the divine should be not only inside but to see it in this whole uh, creation so Sri makes a distinction between self knowledge as is traditionally arrived at by a process of negation of the world and the integral knowledge which is arrived at by discovering the ways of the divine in the world so this self knowledge must enlarge its scope and function to discover how the divine is operating in the world how are we to do it? there is no book there is no book which will tell us but to open the Veda which is inside the heart by constantly dwelling anything we can take it up we can take up science, the field of science I am sometimes amazed how the great pharmacopoeia of Ayurveda was developed it's a Veda very interesting. They didn't have as far as we know such sophisticated statistical methods. They did not uh, arrive at this knowledge by purely intellectual means. But yet they arrived with the knowledge that till today many of the drugs used thousand years back are still valid. Riserpine is a classic example. Sarpaganda. still reduces blood pressure. There are many other drugs. How did they arrive at this knowledge? Now the beauty was that the Ayurvedic physician was meant to be a dwij, twice born. He was a man with a spiritual consciousness. Today, everything else except the spiritual. You can have a commercial consciousness, you can have an intellectual consciousness, but don't talk about spirituality when you talk about medicine. But how beautiful if the doctor can be a yogi, if he can combine the two, many things may unfold themselves. So It's not a yoga of running away from life by insistence upon an idea it is to bring that divine in every sphere of action things as simple as I mean these powers and faculties develop by the touch of the divine even looking at a letter, what is coming through it it's a whole consciousness which is coming cooking, a simple meal can become an act of divine manifestation so every activity the mother speaks about developing consciousness in the hands and she gives so many practical examples when she used to play music it was not just music for entertainment it was not music to express a certain form of raga it was not music to simply quiet our mind and soothe our souls it was to bring down the harmonies of the higher worlds very consciously into this material creation through the medium of sound so how beautiful if in every field in art in painting so the whole approach is these double labor on one side to come in contact with the divine consciousness on the other side to express it in everyday life so this knowledge must enlarge its scope and the mother says something very beautiful in thoughts and aphorism she says if you quiet the mind make it receptive and open to the light then grace will tell you at each moment what is to be done what is to be said it will reveal all the things that the ordinary mind cannot know and then she says, it's an admirable state. Why? Because the brain is no more cluttered with useless information. And it can tell us even about the most material things. We know about Golconda. We know about how Mother pointed the center of Oroville. And when some difficult problems, Rojay and uh, some of them went to Mother Uh, Pavitra was also there and suddenly mother points out this is how it should be solved and they ask mother how did you know it even in the most material things and it's not just that she is divine so she knows it of course but she is showing a way that even the most material things Nalindar speaks of playing football and he says how the psychic consciousness he is not speaking of the supramental how the psychic consciousness can act upon the physical and make it do just the right act the right gesture at the right moment and save us from a whole lot of problems the mother speaks of how when she is uh, going to step step out of the car suddenly she takes her feet back and well there was a cobra which you know just passes by so even in the physical just the psychic can give the right information it's an information which is other than the mental information, other than the vital reaction, other than what the body consciousness is capable of simply by this kind of touch so it's an integral knowledge because it's a yoga in the world similarly it's an integral love it's not just adoring the divine in my personal private chamber but to adore him not only in humanity that one understands though ignorantly understands that oh i love everybody so you know uh, i should be very very sweet to everybody very nice it's good because divine when one loves the divine one naturally becomes sweet, it's it's something um, natural inside because uh, you know the Gita gives this marker one feels friendly towards everyone one is full of compassion towards everyone but equally that divine love can be very intolerant of the mask and appearance when the love becomes very intense and one looks at a mask, how do you when you are playing a game of hide and seek and it's long you are searching for you know the person who has hidden then after a while you want to tear off the mask and find so sometimes this intense divine love like Kali Kali's love is very intense can rip at the mask there is a famous story of Sri Ramakrishna who was known to go into ecstatic states of love he was dancing, singing in one of his moods in this yoga this is not prescribed and it is not the right thing to do but well it is just to show how divine love can act and suddenly he went and slapped one of the ladies who was seated there she was a very great dignitary Rani Rasmani who paid a lot of money subsequently for the creation of Belurmat so one could not imagine in one's senses to give a slap to her and he went and suddenly slapped her and uh, slapped her and told seated here when the divine is manifest you are still thinking of your property he could see through the mask well the mother has also slapped someone and when this, she told to this person on the battlefield you can afford to be unconscious this person was quietly leaning against the car and you know in his must be in his own world fortunate are they blessed who received her slap it's not easy to receive it, it's an intense love so this divine love is not that only that lowi dovi human love it's an intense rapturous love which sometimes prepares us through ways and means which we cannot understand that love can be born in us towards everything, not only human but towards plants, animals this entire creation it's not the love which is born out of pity which cannot see suffering Shabinder speaks of that but a higher compassion which understands goes to the roots of it and heals it at the roots not at the surfaces of life not by distributing blankets and offering free food and creating tents for people to live in and do the same nonsense there is a story of a great saint who did some miracles and went by and after some time he came to see let me see what people are doing they must be happy now because he gave eyes to the blind and gave speech to the dumb and made the person who could not hear hear and when he went back he saw well the man who had the eyes was busy watching all kinds of nonsense. And the man who had the speech was abusing filthy things onto the other person. Sometimes we don't know what is really a blessing and a bone. And this ignorant goodwill, born out of so called divine love and piety, is one of the most dangerous things in the world. It's a preliminary stage of schooling. But the soul that has known the true love of the divine wants that to manifest in everyone. So this is an integral divine love, if one may use the word. Similarly, an integral works, all works can become means of the unfolding of the eternal. What does it mean? Does it mean we will make no choice? Shorbindo makes this a very practical question. Any work which is given to us, we will do just without any thought. Maybe, may not be. We can still exercise a choice, but this choice is no more by the vital preference, by the mind's interest, or by simply our physical comforts but dictated by the deeper soul's true nature intrinsic nature sabhava and sudharma or it can be dictated if one knows the higher divine will so any of these can become and one can exercise a choice it's not just a choiceless action it is the action with a deeper and a higher choice so these are some of the things which prepare us for the inward turn and then once we are ready then we can talk about concentration and concentration and concentration which we will take up next class what is the kind of concentration necessary in this yoga and how one goes about it we can close with another letter of Shirobindo and then maybe have yeah. Uh, this is letters on yoga every time I get something part 3, volume 3, the page I read out was 1095 and I'll read now one 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 three. I just pick up at random just before coming. So there is no not this this is not the book which I have been reading earlier or the one which I'll pick up next time. So uh, this just to avoid any uh, you know misconceptions because um, I go by the mood and the inspiration of the moment. And a very beautiful letter describing us. It's about what happens when the psychic being awakens. So it's we can talk about it little more and when the psychic being awakens, what happens? What visions we see, what voices we hear? Because normally we associate sadhana with all abnormal, unusual experiences. Here is Shabindo's direct reminder. How to know that the psychic being is awakened? What happens? What miracles take place when the psychic being awakens? you grow conscious of your own soul you know yourself and you no longer commit the mistake of identifying yourself with the mental or with the vital being secondly when awakened the psychic being gives true bhakti for God or for the guru what a inner and subjective state it increases the bhakti devotion towards the master towards the divine that bhakti is quite different from mental or vital bhakti in the mind one may have admiration or appreciation for the intellectual greatness of the man or guru but it is merely mental it does not carry the matter very far so it is not enough to just have intellectual appreciation Wow, what a life divine he has written Fantastic It does not carry the matter very far Of course there is no harm in having that also But by itself it does not open the whole of the inner being It only establishes a mental contact The vital bhakti demands and demands It imposes its own conditions It surrenders itself to God But conditionally it says to God you are so great I worship you and now satisfy my this desire or that ambition maybe the ambition to be a great yogi nevertheless an ambition to be a supramentalized being with light emerging from all over the face so that others can recognize that you are great <laughs> oneself one lives always under the illusion of greatness but others should also recognize so sometimes these can be very subtle one may say no no this is aspiration for yoga this is not ambition but the line is sometimes very subtle and the more subtle it is the more dangerous it is much easier to have the ego that I am a great man coming from a great lineage it is stupid of course but it is still simple but to have this ego that I am an instrument of the divine is more dangerous (laughs) because it is more aggrandized so here it is Make me great, ah, There it comes. Yes, make me a great sadhak, a great yogin, etc. There is nothing like a great sadhak. There is nothing like a great yogin. One may use the word, but the greater you become, the more humble you become because you are in the before the immensity of that vastness. The unillumined mind also surrenders to the truth but makes its own conditions. It says to the truth, satisfy my judgment and my opinion. You speak of supermind, I don't see it anywhere. I see only catastrophe. Where is the supermind? So it must satisfy my judgment. This is the unillumined mind. It demands the truth to cast itself in the mind's own forms. Both of them, the mental and vital, have got an area, mental reservation in their surrender. But the psychic being and its bhakti are not like that. Because it is in direct communication with the divinity behind, it is capable of true bhakti. Psychic bhakti does not make any demand, makes no reservation. It is satisfied with its own existence it is happy just with divine devotion for the divine it wants nothing else it says if you can give me love for you that is enough I don't want any more well this is not easy and ordinary the psychic being knows how to obey the truth in the right way it gives itself up truly to God or to Guru and because it can give itself up truly therefore it can also receive truly thirdly, when the psychic being comes to the surface it feels sad This is a psychic sorrow when the mental or the vital being is making a fool of itself that sadness is purity offended this is purity, the touch of the psychic, Shobhidha speaks about how Mahali when she steps to fill our heart and mind with love and delight and sweetness when it sees that how human nature is full of bitterness and conflict and poison of quarrel and hatred it withdraws and waits for the cup to be empty and the chalice to be ready so that it can once again come and pour the divine, the wine divine psychic sadness is again when the mind is playing its own game or when the vital being is carried away by its own impulses it is the psychic being which says I don't want these things what am I here for after all I am here for the truth I am not here for these things psychic sadness is again different from mental dissatisfaction or vital sadness or physical depression lastly the psychic being refuses to be deceived by appearances it is not carried away by falsehood the mind can easily be carried away by appearances oh there miracles happen that is where divine is it can be carried away not that miracles do not happen miracles happen but it is not that which carries away the psychic being it knows the divine behind appearances it is not carried away by falsehood it refuses to be depressed by falsehood nor does it exaggerate the truth for example even if everything around says there is no god the psychic being refuses to believe in it it says I know and I know because I feel and because it knows the thing behind it is not deceived by appearances it immediately feels the force also when the psychic being is awakened it throws out all the draws from the emotional being and makes it free from sentimentalism or the lower play of emotionalism but it does not carry in it the dryness of the mind or the exaggeration of the vital feelings. It gives the just touch to each emotion. So we'll speak more about the psychic next time. Any questions? If they are there, we can... Or any observations we can share. What was it? Equal joy. It's not a joy which is based on certain conditions of the play. That I have a joy when I am being the instrument of the divine. There is also a joy when the instrument is set aside. One is not uh, feeling that the divine has abandoned me in fact in the prayer of the mother this is what she says why should I complain or say that thou hast abandoned me that also one takes it that the divine has given the rest and the repose so one celebrates even that moment to give a very practical example supposing one is working in a particular department or a setup or anywhere it can be anywhere in the world and for some reason it happens that one is out of that so one can be led to think that mother has abandoned me or there is some you know people have misunderstood all kinds of things can come in but equal joy is all right divine wants me to be for a while aside watch the play do nothing to just nestle into his arms to feel his sweetness and warmth inwardly so many ways one can look at it and that is the joy that one should discover there is a joy of action. There is a joy of withdrawal from action. Why Shribindo is mentioning that very of see, these are very, very subtle and thin there is a thin line everywhere one can exaggerate and going to the other extreme. For instance, Shrivindo insists on action. Now when Shrabindhu insists on action, one can mistake it that well, one should be all the time doing something. And the mother says in one of her prayers that one should be very careful, the vital can be a great misleader on the path of works. So this insistence on action, in fact, this is a letter of Shurbindo. All this insistence on action is absurd if one does not have the light by which to act. So Shurbindo has put, you know, the psyche giving the just touch to each emotion. So one, yes, action is the way and it's very important even in ordinary life, in yoga it is very important. In Shurbindo's yoga is very important. There is no doubt about all that. But one should not be bound or Act under compulsion and restlessness. One should be free inside, and if one has to for for a moment or for for some period be withdrawn from action, one should take even that as a stage or a phase or a gift or a boon, whatever way, and find the delight in that. So that is. But it does not mean, of course, that one should want to withdraw and enjoy in action. So it's a very thin line, but uh, it's important. In fact, Shobindu says no divine worker can be truly a divine worker in the true sense unless one can withdraw into inaction if necessary. So, there is a, you know, nivrati from pravrati. Pravrati is the urge to act, and nivrati is freedom from that. So, freedom from the restless urge to act is what is one has to be free from yes there are several ways one of the ways of course is uh, you know the more we work upon a particular part of our nature the more we discover or develop a kind of tolerance towards others because we discover how difficult it is second is very often the fault that we see in others somewhere it is there in us but as a seed form this Took at least it took me personally a long time to understand because because you know it's blinder, big blinder and I read it that the mother has said so and I used to, I mean mother has said so it is right, for me it's like, I mean for all of us I'm sure it's like that we don't question you know what she has said but one has to realize it so I was wondering how is it when I see something in another person it's inside me so you know it needed a lot of digging a lot of uh, inner movement and, you know, gymnastics. And then now it's very clear, yes, it's there. It's there in a seat form. And uh, the tendency is, you know, hidden inside. And in many ways, you know, one becomes aware. So that one can take it as a uh, as a pointer. That if I am seeing a fault in another, it is there inside me. And of course, one works upon one's nature and develops a sunny tolerance towards other. Another method which I found, uh, method means it came like an insight somebody who is no more and I was involved with that person's personal care for almost an year or so and you know we grew fond of each other Uh, very elderly person and uh, he or she um, to keep the thing secret (laughs) one day told me something very interesting this person held a grudge towards um, another person and long standing grudge for, for decades not just years and uh, one day, in a moment of a very lucid psychic moment, I am sure, the person came up with a great truth as a realization. I must, or as an experience, uh, the person said, "You know, I have something to share with you." When I went to see, I said, "Yes, uh, let me hear." He said, I, "I wonder, you know, why do I hold this grudge?" There is a great discovery, but what made you feel suddenly this? so the person says it's not the person's fault it's nature it's a profound statement it's a realization of the path of works as we were saying this is not you it's not me, it's not personal it's universal nature which works in people people are what they are because they can't help being otherwise it does not mean that we tolerate nonsense we have to do what we have to do but it is from a different poise not with a sense of looking down upon or with a sense of intolerance leave alone hatred not with a sensorial spirit or a harsh judgment but with a spirit of inner life that certain movements or certain things have to be out from various reasons in a collectivity like if somebody goes and places as the other day we had this example picks up a uh, bottle and puts it on the samadhi now um, one has to take it away and probably remind the person look I mean this is not done but the other is one has to also see its unconsciousness grass unconsciousness lack of sensitivity towards spiritual things but one doesn't do it in a judgmental spirit that this person is condemned forever and that is wrong so one sees a movement as a movement of nature works upon it but understand that the other person is in its grip and this is in its grip because of uh, unconsciousness and falsehood and ignorance and the whole earth is in its grip so on one side one works on the other side one has a sunny tolerance so always to remind that another movement inner movement which is very helpful in this is is uh, is when we condemn somebody for good you know either in a sensorial spirit or another way we basically condemn the divine in the person so if i really love my lord i should not condemn the person in a sensorial spirit because when we criticize when we are hyper critical or criticize and say that you know this person is horrible look at the person's nature 40 years he has been there and he is like this now when we indulge in this kind of an approach now again you know one has to do what one has to do but when the line can be very thin when we indulge in that other extreme then what we are doing is we are indirectly telling the divine that look this is what you did you could not even change him this is not good (laughs) because divine is working and it's like you know when we condemn a painting we are also condemning the painter so it's important to remember that while we say that this painting is not good this needs to be changed that's a good correct observation but when we pick it up, throw it away when we say this is nonsense and this you know then we are being very harsh and judgmental so the movement has to be very quiet even when we uh, stand against falsehood it should well from the quiet depth with a calm and clear vision of truth with the utmost love in our heart even for the thing that is being destroyed that is very difficult it's much easy to hate so that is the difficult balance one and it's also easy to just accept everything indiscriminately but this is the difficult part and only the psychic can do it psychic knows the truth and falsehood it can see the distinction. It does not say that all is divine means everything is divine. At the same time, it knows how to remove falsehood from truth with a clear firmness and a clear vision. At the same time, it has love for what is being destroyed and goodwill for the future. So that's why the psychic must step out and lead this inner life. Yes. Yes. Yes, Exactly, so uh, I mean I have been personally involved let's say in in a case of its own kind and uh, of course no names one has to stand for what is true, that is number one now having said that, as far as the person is concerned, it's none of my business, I'm not here to change the person, so personally I draw a line between the work and the person, so as far as the work is concerned, let's say To take an example, again, there is a book which is written which speaks something which is not true by my vision. I must act in my own highest light. So my allegiance to truth says this is not right, this is false and based on that vision I act. And even if necessary, I speak openly that this is damaging, this is not true and this is not right. Having done that, my work stops there. As far as the person is concerned, well, it has to be decided by a different you know the cosmic forces come into play and somebody you know asked me this question even recently very directly what do you feel? I said well this is my feeling about the book about the person well I can say all kinds of things and at one point of time very impersonally I can say well this, is, this work itself is a diabolic nature I can say that but having said that what should happen to the person or who should do and what should do is not my business because that does not concern me the second aspect is that I equally do not sympathize with the person that is the other line which I draw I feel sorry for the state in which the person has landed oneself but now it's the cosmic forces which would take their own toll and while I know the direction things are moving I would not like to intervene and sympathize because that would be a wrong sympathy with the wrong movement and Sri is has a very clear letter to that effect you should not sympathize with the person gone wrong this is also important because you indirectly feed that movement at the same time in the end of the letter I mentioned which I can speak very openly and to some of the friends of the person I said very clearly I said even now tell him to take refuge in the mother she will free him from all inner and outer difficulties and I openly feel that when somebody came and asked me I said see we are small fries what X writes or y writes or somebody writes or the whole world writes, I have experiences of this kind. If you take refuge in her sincerely because she alone knows the truth, none of us knows the truth then she will turn every difficulty into an opportunity for progress and I reminded the person who had come uh, you know uh, all this confusion was going on is an aphorism of sherbin though God drives us from every Eden so that crossing through him, Uh, desert of morass and despair we may arrive at a greater paradise so if the person and uh, it's not something theoretical I'm sure all of us many of us have gone through these states I have gone through these states so I can openly say and if you take the right attitude then it's a leap forward so one should not interfere with the cosmic play because maybe it's a leap it's a moment of great inner reckoning and confronting oneself. If one takes it in the right way, one will leap. If one does not, then the process continues. So, my attitude is that, but at the same time, the work itself, I am very clear. So, this, I suppose, is a kind of balance which one can do. Yes, yes. yes. What is traditionally called as self realization, I am assuming that we are talking about the true self, you know, because there are degrees of self-realization, one can have a reflection of the self in the mind. By a kind of withdrawal of the mind into a state of impersonality, one can get a mental realization of the self and confuse it for the self-realization. There are yogins who do that by detaching the mind from all ideas, opinions, constructs, etc. They end up in a state of the mind where there is a reflection of that wide impersonality. but that's not self-realization why I am qualifying it because many times one can feel there is a self-realization but let's take the authentic self-realization authentic self-realization means to get behind all appearances to that one reality impersonal, vast which is supporting the entire play of this cosmos this cosmic dance this self is the one self unchanging it is neither born nor dies and one of the fastest ways one of the ways traditional ways is the yoga the jnana yoga where you uh, insist on the idea of the oneself and eventually you drop that mental prop and are projected into it the other way is also through the heart one can arrive at self-realization but that is not the realization of the psychic being what happens in that state is that the mind usually the mind withdraws and eventually there comes a point of time when it drops that little prop that it was using and gets into that experience and one can dwell there and dwelling there for a long time slowly the rest of the nature through past movement, habitual movement or sanskaras you know as they are called, eventually they drop away and the soul or the psychic being returns back and merges into that absolute, this is the not natural, normal way, uh, in the traditional way but in our yoga this psychic being does not have to return but to become a nodus point for linking earth nature with the divine and all the powers and consciousness and the verities of the divine existence so here one uses the psychic being as the station where one lodges oneself and having lost there one calls more and more the divine consciousness aspires for that to fill one frame Now what is the difference between the two realizations? When one merges oneself into the self, one believes, before merging of course, (laughs) that this is the end all and be all. And great yogins have done this, if one may use the word error, or one may say that this was sufficient unto itself. Why I use the word error? Because the Upanishad uses it as an error. Because it is to draw from the world and launch oneself into that. Now, Shabindu says you can go beyond and you can discover beyond this state of self beyond this self a greater reality a greater consciousness the being who is behind this entire play and this self is only a creation of his in eternity which is a base for this dance of creation the self is eternal and nature is eternal and this self supports the play but there is something beyond these two nature and self and that is the divine being, the great being so one can go into that beyond the self, but it's very difficult if one has gone through the traditional path and one has arrived at the impersonality, pure impersonality by the way of the mind, it's very difficult to return back into the play because first, the rest of the nature is not prepared, second one is blinded by greater light one loses all sense of orientation of time, space and everything that's why when Raman Maharishi was asked this question he said what is descent from where what will descent the divine is everywhere you know, which is understandable and this question was put to Shirovinda and Shirovinda gave a very beautiful reply that yes yes the divine is everywhere and so is the self but there are gradations of divine manifestations now this one can understand only when one approaches through the psychic being now what is the psychic being in relation to the self we can say that the one self projects out of itself in fact it doesn't project out of itself but the one divine projects out of himself or forms within oneself form. this is the first formation if one may use the word but the true formation the jivatman, the separate, the several multiple individual centers now these centers in their origin are united in the divine they are, they are separate but they are not separate in the sense of the egoistic separateness they are always conscious of the divine so these are the multiple individualities of the one divine now for the sake of the play these each of these separate separate is a word jivatmas or the individual centers projects itself into the play to sustain and support it this is the psychic spark which goes into the darkness this psychic spark is the one which evolves through life and death and rebirth and becomes a psychic being everybody does not have a psychic being but everybody has a psychic consciousness now once this psychic being evolves it becomes a beautiful link between earth nature and the self above and the divine above now jivatman does not descend but it is a shadow it cast upon nature where we have this ego sense it is because there is an individuality inside the true individuality that we get a feeling that there is an individuality in us of course, it's a very, very. Uh, it, I don't want to get into the subject of the ego because it's it's not really concerned us. But the psychic consciousness develops into the psychic being. So psychic being, since it is linked to the jivatman, it's a projection from the jivatman. Can any time withdraw into it, because the jivatman itself is always linked to the divine, and the psychic being is direct contact with the divine behind. Therefore, we read that it knows the divine truth directly. If the psychic being wants any time, it can disengage itself from the appearances with which it is identified and withdraw into the oneself. So with psychic being, all these possibilities open up. You can go either ways. If one discovers the psychic being, one can say, well, I don't want the play, I quit. One can equally draw one of the greater beings or greater powers of consciousness into one's being. One can equally be as a liberated being upon earth or one can participate in the yoga of transformation all these possibilities consciously of course even otherwise one participates in the yoga so all these possibilities open up by discovering the psychic being which is the individual divine center which is in the earth play the jivatman is outside the earth play the self is outside the play and of course the divine is in outside everywhere and beyond so divine is the uh, you know everywhere around So, this is the relation. I hope I have tried to make myself clear. When the experience of the self comes, there is no more the sense of a personal I. All is that. But the psychic being, you have the individual joy of play with the divine. So, there is a different kind of joy in that. Whereas the psychic, the self realization brings a deep calm, peace and impersonality and wideness one experiences the whole world drowned in that vastness sustained by it or indifferently supported by it the car, the street, the people entire thing is that and nothing else but that even one can become unaware of what one called as oneself so, I mean what we call as ourself in the sense of the ego but the psychic brings a different taste altogether. It brings sweetness of contact with the Divine, the delight of being with the Divine, the love of the Divine flowing into us, the strength of the Divine, and of course the peace and the quietude and everything else. So, this is the difference. Yes, that's true. If you have arrived at that point, where one is free from the bond of the ego, implying thereby, you know, if one has realized the self, one cannot do it unless one is uh, still within the frame of the ego. Though psychic being can be realized while one is still within the frame of the ego. Ego has to be sufficiently loosened, of course. But uh, if one has realized the self, then of course it is no more uh, left to oneself as we understand. It is a different level of choice which one cannot speak of anymore in human terms some return that is true but they are rare that only the divine can speak of that's true yes is it? Mm-hmm. into an impersonality that's right Shirobinda speaks of it as one of the preliminary steps which one can undertake but to make any of them as exclusive practice is obviously to after a while move away from the path of integral transformation up to a point it is a good help to learn to observe one's nature standing back in a non-judgmental way and as you have rightly said uh, the right expression that the sanskaras the habits of nature slowly become weaker and weaker and it goes away but the problem of it is that if one takes it up as an exclusive practice as an end in itself then there are two big dangers, one is one may enter into the witness cell which is a very thin and vague substratum of the ego sense but one doesn't realize it one feels itself in that self sense but it's still the ego, very subtle very vague, like a substratum background and uh, the traditional paths speak about it, that's why they speak of nirvana and mahanirvana the sanskaras continue. And a neophyte or even a person who is into it can very easily mistake that to be uh, done with life and birth and death. But one is withdrawn only in a very subtle ego. Sometimes one can only be in a witness of the mental purusha and mistake it for the uh, even that sense of the ego, So the uh, self. So there are various catches in that. It's not I mean, as simple as that. That's why when Buddha gave this path, he gave the eightfold path and he spoke about Uh, sangham, you know, to stay in a kind of group which is facilitated otherwise very dangerous, you can't be engaged in the world with this kind of state and at most these practices are prescribed for few days you know, when you come to real life and come to grips with it, it's very difficult Uh, the second problem is if one withdraws more and more into the impersonality one can lose one's grip on life and over a period of time, one may not be the instrumental nature can become weaker and weaker and not capable of manifesting the divine it's like you know if um, somebody asks that in this yoga if senses are the cause of trouble why not i starve them so Shirvinda says this is not the way in this yoga because over a period of time the senses will fail to recognize the difference between what is beautiful and ugly now how do i even at a human level okay the distinction is very human from a deeper level it's different But if I lose that hold on even physically, there are yogis, uh, I mean, I have gone to a place called Ujjain where there are yogis, tantric yogis who actually eat human flesh. The reason is that it's jugupsa, you know. You are not supposed to have jugupsa, shrinking from anything. Fine, very good. But you know, (laughs) if you lose the distinction, there are yogis who do that. Even Sri Ramakrishna had to do it as a small practice to get rid of jugupsa. But he did it in a different way. In his own modified way, because he was a bhakta at heart, so he simply tasted uh, the human excreta rather than, you know, uh, human. You know, one can s- these. You know, everything is divine. Now, one loses all distinction. There is nothing like right, wrong, good, bad, beautiful, ugly. The danger of such a thing is that one also loses after a time the distinction between the truth that is evolving itself in the world and the falsehood that is surrounding it. So one says, it doesn't matter now that kind of state is alright for the individual if that be the goal but it's certainly not at all um, useful for the purposes of divine manifestation in the world which is the aim of sharbindu Yoga. and of course the heart and other parts have become impoverished not nourished by that impersonality and one great um, thing you know danger which uh, or the difficulty which people don't often realize when one tries to do things by one's own effort which is what impersonality is about there's nothing like a divine as being you know so strip off nature and you're left nude and bare whether you call it self permanent beyond like the advaitin or whether you call it nothing like the nihilist it doesn't matter but there is your effort whereas in the other way there is something from beyond the self which comes and picks you and helps you in the journey so there is not only the facilitation of the path, which includes self-realization, and a small letter of Shraubindo with regard to that, but also the delight of the journey, the ananda of the whole growth. Now when somebody asks Shraubindo, "That is the realization of this yoga greater than nirvikalp samadhi? In traditional paths, the highest state is nirvikalpa samadhi, where not only the sanskaras of outer nature, but even the seed state is vanished. All these sanskaras have their seats in the mind, not in the outer nature. So even from the mind, they are dropped away. And it is said traditionally that if a yogin can stay in that state for some number of days, you know, there are different traditions speaking of 21 or 42 days. And uh, I believe it must be 42 because there are several other traditions where these 42 days things come into play. Then one, uh, even the body will vanish because, you know, it cannot sustain itself. Probably that was the way some of the yogins are known to have disappeared. Which is not really a feat of physical transformation. It is a feat of nirvikalpa samadhi. Shorabindu says the realization of this yoga is greater and not lesser than the nirvikalpa samadhi because self-realization is included in it. Nobody can manifest the higher truths unless one has learned to step back from the entire movement of nature and entered into the cosmic self which is behind all becomings but in this yoga it comes in a different way not by this process it comes, partly one does an effort and then grace, the hand of grace always sustains the journey it puts us in that state of consciousness where one can experience this entire world as a mere cinematic show with no essential reality in it but if one persists one goes beyond and discovers that it is a distorted expression of something true this is the difference in the traditional path you stop at regarding this play as no essential reality i mean though no apparent reality but here it goes to see that this is a distorted appearance of something true and then the other part of the yoga where how the truth can manifest thank you